maybe easy isn't the right word, but they're foregoing this opportunity to just make gobs and gobs of money on their success. They're, they're, they're deliberately saying, I'm choosing not to go down that path because I know in the long run, it's going to create unhappiness for me, for my customers, for my employees. And I'm willing to forgo being a multi-billionaire and I'm still going to be incredibly rich. And I'm going to be able to do it by maintaining this way of life and this way of doing things that. Welcome to 33 Tangents, a weekly podcast featuring a rotating panel of co-hosts that all work together in the same company, but live in different areas of the world. The discussions cover a wide variety of topics from digital analytics to working remotely to current happenings in business and technology. Our regular day-to-day conversations often go off in various directions, and the goal of this podcast is to share our ideas and find new ways to engage with others. It's it's so incredibly complicated, and I was I was just doing mozzarella cheese because it was probably one of the more easy cheeses that I could find to make. And so I bought like the, the rennet, which helps separate the, the curd and the whey. And I bought cheesecloth and like molds and all this stuff to try to make it special cheese thermometers, but it was like too complicated. But then I stumbled across the fact that you can make processed cheese really easy. American cheese. Interesting. Which, which basically is adding kind of some stabilizers and stuff to existing cheese so you take like a colby or a really mild cheddar and then you add like some gelatin and stabilizers to it and hot milk and then you put that into a mold and that's american cheese so i'm gonna give it a go we'll, we'll see if it tastes better than your craft singles yeah uh, let me know grilled cheese i'll let you know so yeah that's what i got on my uh, afternoon agenda sweet sweet yeah. yeah, I'm just trying to to wrap stuff up. You know, try to get some stuff out. I'm just this week's been really frustrating. Yeah. Just really frustrating trying not to feel overwhelmed with lots of stuff going on um and and whatnot. So, yeah, just just I'm I'm done after today. Like I'm I'm done for I, I need I I'm looking forward to the weekend. I need I hear it. you. And apparently we have a 3-day weekend which I didn't we do. Re- I didn't realize until uh, I was talking to a prospect and he said, hey, legal's taking a bit longer. I said, eh, no worries. Let's touch base on Monday and see where we're, there, we're at. And we'll kind of set a kickoff date based on what we hear on Monday. He's like, Monday's a holiday. I'm like, hey, bonus three-day weekend. Yeah. <laughs> that was unplanned. Yeah. So that's that. Nice. Yeah. Kicked off a fun project yesterday with the uh, grad students at ETSU. So, Sweet. That's going to be super fun. They're they're building a uh, kind of brand strategy, go to market website strategy for the uh, Mate ROV competition. Which, if you haven't watched the videos on YouTube, it's super cool. So it's kind of like um, Robot Wars, but underwater or not? Robot? What is it called? Battlebots? Yep. But but underwater. But underwater. They're, not, they're not necessarily battling each other. They're doing like they're solving different puzzles and things with these underwater robots that 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 teams build. Okay. Um, and it was really cool because Dr. Marshall yesterday was talking about how 
uh, I think it was last year, one of the years before, uh, there was a high school team that went head to head with a team from Purdue and they beat them and everyone was all psyched about it. It was so cool. So yeah. Anyway, that's going to be a fun little project, uh, helping, helping out the students there. They're always fun to work with. Mm -hmm. So nice. Uh, That that sounds like fun. And finally, speaking about uh, fun experiences, you know, we we spend a lot of time talking about experiences, and we're spending a lot of time internally, kind mm-hmm. of strategizing about what is it, what is it like to work with thirty three sticks? What experiences do we create? And you know, oftentimes we um, we think that these brand experiences have to be these big elaborate strategies and take a lot of time to build and money to pull off and. Uh, last night, my last night, uh, I went to uh, a local burger place. Went through the drive-through to get a hamburger, um, and I got home, and uh, they had ri- someone had written on my fry sauce lid container, "You are really cool," and I'm like, that took them like five seconds to write. Although the penmanship was really nice, maybe mm-hmm. it took them ten seconds to write. You know, I'm like, that was unexpected and made me smile. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, it didn't really cost a whole lot to create no. a really fun experience so oh, that's interesting that's uh, that, that sounds cool yeah anyway and it's friday yeah we don't so, usually so record t- on friday yeah we don't normally record on fridays but it's a nice change of pace but tell me a little bit more about that that place you know franchise local like no it's just a local burger place it, it's actually an interesting study i would I would love to be able to uh, get a hold of their ownership team or management group to ask them lots of questions because they've been one of the few. And I think it's the answer may be in being incredibly deliberate and slow, but they've been one of the few local restaurants that has gotten a lot of attention that hasn't completely destroyed the quality of their food experience. Um, So when I first moved to the area that I live in, in 1999, this restaurant, this burger restaurant was like down the street. Like it was a two minute drive from my house to get there. Uh, and it was a single location. Um, it was just their one location. Um, kind of like your a little bit more upscale, but like your small town burger joint, you know, just like really good burgers and fries and shakes. And it was kind of the place that all the locals would go to, to get burgers. Um, but, you know, they did their your traditional burgers, but then they had kind of your, well, fancier burgers. So my favorite burger there is their bacon blue burger. It's a blue cheeseburger with bacon, like thick cut bacon. It's really good. And anyway, so it's it that's that's the place and um, single location for probably I don't know how long. I don't know how long it was there before I moved there. And it was a single location for probably a decade after I moved here. Um, and super popular. Like you would, if you go there between like five and turn down my volume here, five and like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night, like parking lot packed, drive through packed. In fact, the drive through would be so busy that they invented this multi lane drive through. I think way before it was like in vogue at like restaurants, I think McDonald's is experimenting more with it now where you have multiple drive through lanes. At least here we have that option. I've seen a couple of them. So, I mean, they were doing that before anyone else where they had so much drive-through traffic that they invented this multi-lane approach where after you ordered, you were segmented into different drive-through lanes based on the speed of your order. So that someone getting a shake 
you know, wouldn't have to wait behind someone getting like a fish and chips meal and a hamburger. So or, or it, ordering for a family of 10. Yeah. So it became yeah. really, really efficient. That's that's how kind of popular and busy they got. And then more recently, a couple of years ago, they expanded to a second location um, uh, down the street from me uh, in the same relative area, very near the Adobe um, campus in Utah, um, just across the freeway from Adobe. They, they opened that second location and then they've probably about every 18 months to 24 months, they've added a new location and they're up to five locations now. Um, but the quality has remained incredibly consistent, which is phenomenal because there have been other Utah brands. There have been other Utah brands that have kind of gone through a similar journey. I remember there was a Mexican restaurant um, by where I worked right out of college called Bajio. And it was phenomenal, phenomenal. And it was a standalone restaurant for probably again, a good 10 years and I think the owners were like seeing, ooh, we have opportunity, we can expand. And almost overnight, I would get my favorite thing there was steak nachos. So it was this big tin of nachos with shredded cheese and cheese sauce and big chunks of like slow smoked pork or beef and salt. Oh, that's so good. And almost overnight, that slow cooked steak and beef that just was like fork tender was turned into this like dog food brand of beef where it was like this gelatinous like cube and just hard and rubbery and i'm like but it was because they were trying to expand and they expanded to i don't know like almost overnight 20 or 30 locations just incredibly quickly and it just fell apart and crumbled they filed for bankruptcy and it's it's no more Mm -hmm. and it's sad and in fact to reminisce or to, to to maintain that memory they held kind of a fire sale and I bought um, a table. They like liquidated everything. And I bought like a table and a set of chairs from the restaurant to have just to kind of have as a reminder of, of the restaurant. And I still have them. So, you know, I, and, and again, I'm sure you've seen it. There's a good probably eight to 10 restaurants just in the local area that started as a local single location, got the, you know, got the buzz that they were really good, decided to super expand or franchise. And now they've just all gone to crap, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you see it all the time and, you know, mo- it, I think it's most notable with food establishments. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it actually, this is exactly what I want to talk about today. And this wasn't uh, even planned. So. No, it wasn't. It's a, gr- a great example. That's why I started <laughs> kind of asking for more detail because there a couple of weeks back we had mentioned we kind of went off on this tangent. I said, let's hold there and we'll come back to it. The, the, the concept of active versus passive ownership or management or participation, however you want to think about it, active versus passive. And again, like the, the, the most obvious place where you see it is food. You know, you, you can quickly see when the founder or the group that started the establishment, their attention has turned elsewhere. The, the, the food quality quickly changes. I've seen it too with, with some local establishments in, in this area as well. It was great. And then all of a sudden you could tell something changed. Some, you know, either, you know, they, they, they quietly sold other people come in, their attention's gone elsewhere. But then on the flip side, you've also seen it. Like there are establishments that are, it's a single location. They were around before I was born. 
And, you know, like, as we were preparing for my, my dad's funeral, like there were a couple of places that came up, like my mom would talk about, like that, that are still in existence today, run by the same family, the same attention to detail, but they were around when my parents were dating. And like, you know, they, they went on some of their early dates to some of these places. And it, it's really funny when you think about that. Yeah. And I, it, I mean, it, it, it conjures up so many thoughts in me and, and one is, and, and to be honest, I'll be completely selfish one, because I like patronizing those locations. And two, it's the kind of business we're building um, that I think that those business owners deserve a lot more and maybe they don't care. Maybe them being invested in the craft and doing something that they're proud of is all the recognition that they need. But, you know, I just feel like these, these, these business owners that decide to go down this path and say, you know what, I'm going to stick with doing what I'm passionate about and I'm not going to compromise on it. And I may not get all the money and I may not get all the attention, but it makes me ha- like, I, I feel like they deserve a little bit more attention. I feel like they deserve our praise a bit for, for going down that path because it's far too easy to fall to the seduction of increasing revenue. And we see it all the time. Well, I mean, it, it, it's almost like people are pushed that way or they're shamed into that direction. What do you mean you're only a single location? Yeah. At this point, been around this long, you should have five. So, I mean, we've been, I've been, I've had that conversation. I, 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 I don't know, know if I'm I've, sh- the bear. yeah, I don't know if I've shared it on the podcast or not, but I've had that conversation with, with, um, people in the industry, peers in the industry, companies that have expressed interest in purchasing 336. And then they kind of look under the covers and they're like, wait a minute, you're just a single location. Like you're, you're nothing. You're just a lifestyle business. You're not really a business. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Of course, like we're, we're, we're invested in the craft of this. We're not here to just sell out to make it, you know, you guys an extra buck, you know? So it's, it's very near and dear to me, the, the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it's funny because also part of this, it's the, it, where we'd started talking about this before was in the context of sports teams. Mm-hmm. You, you, you see this with sports teams where, you know, there's like a family that owned it or a group of, of families that owned it and they cared about it. And yes, you can care too much. a la the Dallas Cowboys and, and Jerry Jones, uh, but they, they care about it. And there's the, this culture that that's there yeah. and you know what it feels like to go to a game, to be a fan of that team. But then, you know, in say the last 25 years, you've seen more and more companies like yeah. corporations buying sports teams. Cause it's kind of the Vogue, thing yeah, to yeah. you know it's in vogue to you know as part of your corporate portfolio have a sports team or two yeah and you you do you see a change like like it's the 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 philadelphia flyers fans this year are are more or less in revolt for multiple reasons it's a you know, comcast purchased the team back in the mid 90s but like the original owner was still in charge mm. while he sold the majority share he was still kind of running the ship he passed away a few years ago. And over those years, it was this slow creep. But like in the last season or two, you've really felt it where it's like, it's no longer the team we, we, we've we been cheering for, for for forever. For me, since I was 10 years old. Yeah. Um, the, there's definitely a different feel. And you could tell that it's a the business. team, the, yeah, the, the, the ownership only just views it as a line item on the 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 corporate balance sheet that's it yeah 
and like people like at this point like their social media like anything they post that everybody just goes in and spans on the sell the team sell the team sell the team yeah. like bring in ownership that gives a shit about about the team yeah. um and, and cares about winning yeah i and you know i think we were fortunate enough here in utah to have a, a similar experience with the miller family owning the utah jazz for most of my lifetime um until very recently they sold it uh to ryan smith who uh was the founder of qualtrics um but yeah they it was they weren't a conglomerate they weren't a corporation owning it it was this it was the miller family owning it and you know they took a very humanistic approach to running the the team and so it was it was about you know doing things a, a different way and you know i think we were very fortunate to see that experience and, and i'm hopeful that you know ryan smith takes that trajectory trajectory and continues it because there are so many sports teams that it's it is a it is a business it's you know and and still it's still a business you know i'm not saying that to say that it's not run as a business it's not run to be successful from a profitability and a financial of course um but that's not everything you know um going back to the simon cynic uh example that i think we've brought up quite a bit with his ted talk where he talks about you know revenue isn't a purpose it's a result you know, for, for so many of these sports teams that are owned by conglomerates, their purpose is revenue, you know, and for so many of the analytics agencies in our space that are owned by conglomerates, their purpose is revenue and, and revenue isn't a purpose. It's, it's a result. And it's, it's no wonder that fans in Philadelphia or buyers of analytics services that are buying from conglomerates are saying, this is a really crappy experience. Well, well, yeah, because you're you're buying from someone that has made revenue their purpose. And almost always that's going to create a really crappy experience. And going back to the restaurant example, that's why they became crappy experiences because revenue was their their purpose. You know, it wasn't it wasn't to create amazing food. It wasn't to create lasting memories over generations. It was uh, how can we make the most revenue that we can? And that is that decision where you make revenue your purpose almost universally is is guaranteed to make for bad experiences and it, it it's funny like those that are like raving fans of of a brand of you know whatever like they, they frequent the business regularly like they're also the ones that like when they start to complain they start mm -hmm. to see like issues and cracks there. They're also the ones to get bashed for like, you know, you go there all the time. Why are you always complaining? Well, I mean, it, it, that's, that's the, that's part of it is, is part of a, you know, being a raving fan of something, of something, you know, constantly frequenting or going to enjoy something, you notice the subtle changes that happen mm -hmm. because like these changes of, you know, like, you know, a founder starting something, being actively involved in running it, ensuring quality, all of those pieces, as they say, move on or become maybe more less active in the day to day running of, of the business, things don't change overnight. No. It's this it, it's this slow, gradual change that you're only going to notice the beginnings of if you're like that raving fan that's there all the time, all of a sudden you start to notice like, man, that, that doesn't feel right. That doesn't feel like it used to. Yeah. Whereas maybe the people who don't go there as often 
aren't going to pick up on it until it's it's much further down the road. And that, that's what it just drives me nuts. Like, yeah. cause there are a couple brands that I am, I thoroughly enjoy, mm. you know, I purchase from them frequently and there, there are a couple that like, yeah, I, I've noticed changes and you know, I'm the, you know, I, like I'm the first one to be bashed. I say, like, yeah, it's just not the same. It's not right. Well, you know, you go there all the time. You know, why are you complaining? Yeah, that, I, grinds my gear. <laughs> that really grinds my gears. Um, it, it's a great point. Um, and um, it, it's one I think about a lot. And I think the uh, the stupid corporate. And this is the second time I'm going to use this term in two days. The, the stupid corporate buzz word is uh, eat your own dog food. And it's, it's apparent when that change happens, it becomes really clear when the ownership stops eating their own dog food. It's like, you guys aren't eating your own food. You guys aren't coming here and being guests in your hotel. You guys aren't like it. You guys aren't coming to the games and watching as a fan. They're, it You're is not greeting the fans. Yeah, it's it's clear when there's a delineation of I'm actively involved in in running this business, and when the decision is made that I'm going to step away, and this business is a line item that generates revenue. So one of the brands I'm passionate about. Anybody who knows me, I go to Walt Disney World once every eighteen months, mm-hmm. if sometimes not more frequently than that. It's it's one of the places I enjoy going. It's the happiest place on earth. It is. And like, so, you know, reading a lot of the stuff, you know, from Walt Disney as he was involved in building the parks, you know, there's some fun stories that he would walk the parks, you know, in the morning before people would get there. Like he was actively involved in, in the designing of them. Like people talk about like how they knew how many trash cans to put. Like, again, part of this is urban myth. Or, you know, part of it, ur- urban legend, you know, company myth, but also partly true, you know, how far to put a trash can. Mm. And the, 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 the story goes that it's like, it's how long it takes to eat a hot dog. So he'd walk and you know, have a hot dog as they were designing it, walking, eating, eating, oh, drop the wrapper. Okay. So I started back there, trash can there, trash can here. And mm. that's the distance. Again, there's a little exaggeration in there, but there's also part truth there. They talk about after Disneyland opened, you know, he would go in in the morning and he would drive the vehicles up and down Main Street. And part mm-hmm. of it was for fun. Like, I mean, sure. it was basically his his backyard. He was playing yeah, in yeah. his backyard with his toys. Yeah. But you can't also tell me that he wouldn't notice, like, eh, something doesn't feel right. The, you know, there's, there's potholes starting to form here along Main Street. Like, being that involved where you're going through the same experiences as the people who are going to come into the gate a couple hours later, you're going to pick up on stuff. Yeah. And that's honestly, that that's one of the companies where like, I've noticed a change in the last two and a half years within the theme park division of, of Walt Disney, the Walt Disney company where they uh, like, you, you can just tell that there there's, there's a bit of a change and it's focused on, revenue and less on the on on the guest experience and this is someone who for several years had an annual pass someone who is is looking to see when do i book my next trip so it's it's like there's definitely i felt a change within that brand too so let's let's explore that a little bit because it's interesting you bring up the trash example and because that is where my brain was going and I wanted to share an experience from last night about that. But let's, let's, let's explore that a little bit because 
I, I think that there, there, there may be multiple facets that, that may lead to that. And, and, and one is obviously, again, making revenue purpose, I, I think is a huge trap. But the other one that I was thinking about is, is it also possible that it could be reflective of a lack of feeling like ownership? You know, uh, for especially for large brands that have lots of location, like the owner, the owner can't be on site in every location at all the time. So how much does a feeling of ownership, a sense of ownership in the brand come to play in, in that? So the, the example that I was going to give as you were going down this um, example with the trash cans was, um, again, I went to get a burger last night, this local place, and there's a quicker way back out to the road, back to my house. If I cut through this parking lot of a hotel that sits on the same complex as this restaurant, kind of go through their parking lot and come out the back. And as you, as you exit the, the burger place and drive into the hotel property, you kind of, you drive down this split two lane road that has, you know, a planter in the middle with trees. And then it kind of opens up into the front entrance of the hotel and that that planter was littered with trash all along the sides of the the gutter on the sidewalks just had like all this garbage and paper and trash lining it and it's kind of the first thing you see as you drive into the hotel property and i'm driving down that street and i'm like if i if i was the owner of this property and i drove down the street i'd be like okay i gotta park my car and go clean this up (laughs) like oh hell no is this this is not how we're going to greet our our guests but you know, this is a national chain. I think it's a, I don't know, it's a Marriott or something. Um, Marriott, it feels like Marriott owns just about everything these days. I'm going to look it up now. Um, but it is a, I don't have it. Hold on. Now I got to look it up. Other, Otherwise it's going to um, pull my attention until I figure it out. Uh, my dog is so barky. Um, I'm sure this is making for riveting content. Okay. Uh, it, no, it's a, oh, is it a, no, it's a Hampton Inn. That's not Marriott. Marriott's across the street. Okay. It's a Hampton Inn. So you drive down this like little entry road into the Hampton Inn and I'm like, it is clear to me that no one that works at this Hampton Inn has a sense of ownership of this property. Because if they did and they drove in on their way to work and they drove past that, whether it was their job or not, they would have gone out there and cleaned that up. Because again, like, it's like this, is this how we want to greet our guests? Is this the first experience that we want to give our guests that they're driving into our location and they're driving through like these piles of trash? This is like not good. So going back to my, my question, how much of it do you think it is that some businesses make a strategic decision to make revenue their purpose and how much of it is especially for these larger brands that are growing and scaling how much of it is that they fail or they had at one point in time and they failed to maintain a sense of ownership in at least some of their employees mm-hmm. yeah and and by the way i think that is probably one of the greatest challenges as you grow uh, is um it's the, the, again, to use another corporate buzzword, you know, empowering people with the sense of ownership, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's one of the hardest things is not just empowering people, but recruiting people that have like that innate desire to want to take ownership of their work and not just bunch of cloth. 
So I want to start off by saying that, that it, this is an incredibly hard problem to solve. And it goes back to like your, one of your points in the very beginning is that credit to those, those business owners that large or small that have been able to cultivate a culture where every employee, whether it's at a single location, you know, business with a single location or a large multinational brand where people give a shit and, and people care about the appearance and what the, the customer sees when, when they enter the establishment. Um, but yes, uh, it, it is that decision where it's not just empowering because it's, I, I hate the, the corporate buzzword of, you know, empower people to do this or empower people to do that. It's like, you know, you're, you, you get this visual of like waving a magic wand and saying, you now can do this and you now can do that. And people just miraculously start doing it. No, it's, it's a culture that harps on it and not just, you know, empowers people to say they could do it, but holds employees accountable when they don't do it, when, when they don't like care, like, and, and that sounds harsh, but there, the, there is like, if you want to have that, if you want to prioritize the experience over revenue, you want to, um, you want to prioritize the customer over revenue, which I mean, revenue comes as a result of prioritizing the customer. It's like, that's, you know, the, the, the big secret there. Um, you, you have to hold employees accountable when they don't uh, live up to that standard. So very, very kind of roundabout way of saying like, yes, there are companies that when they prioritize revenue, everything else is secondary. So you, do, you know, it's, it's hard, if not impossible to build a culture where employees care and want to take ownership of it. You know, it, it's almost like you, you need to prioritize, you know, recruiting and coaching employees to care um, you know, finding those employees where it is just an innate, um, part of someone that they care about their work, they take pride in their work and then, you know, further cultivating that within them to care, the customer is going to enjoy it and the customer is going to come back. Yeah, I agree. Do you, do you have any examples of maybe regional brands or larger brands, um, that have done a good job of cultivating a sense of ownership within their team? Uh, give me a second to think about that because, you know, now all of a sudden, now that you ask me, I'm not, I, you know, like, yeah, I'm going to draw a blank and in 15 minutes, I'm going to, to think <laughs> of one. Um, yeah, I, I know maybe about two years ago, it was, ah, uh, God, what is the name of the brand? Like with the all weather, like floor mats and whatnot. They're the ones I got, I'm blanking on them. It's weather tech? It might be weather tech. Um, I think it is WeatherTech. Uh, my wife has them for her Jeep Cherokee, and she gotten she gotten them. And then the one of the things they talk about is is like they're molded for the vehicle, so like it's it's flush. You know they they, they the you know it's not just the mat, but they kind of come up and curve up. So like that you know you can get in snowy you know it's snowy or rainy, the water just doesn't run off them into the fabric. It's it kind of it's, it's like a bit of a bowl. They started bowing in. And she, you know, they're, they're not cheap and they're she, pricey. They're very expensive, uh, but they're worth it. Mm -hmm. If you really want to kind of, you know, maintain the integrity of your vehicle. So she called them to complain to say like, you know, you pride yourselves on that. These are molded to the vehicle that they're going to, to keep their, their shape and whatnot. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm having this, this issue where they're not fitting and they're, they're starting to bow in and whatnot. And they said, no problem. Give us your address. We will ship you replacements immediately at no charge. They shipped out replacements. They were perfect. They, they worked and she'll, you know, again, it's, you know, the next vehicle she gets, she'll buy them again. Um, because they, 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 they did like, and they know that they're not a product that you're not, you, it's not a product that you're going to come back and buy even once a year. You're going to buy once, maybe every three to four years, depending upon, you know, how frequently you get a new, new vehicle. If you really wear them down, you want to get new ones. You know, they know she's not going to immediately come back and purchase, but they took care of her that way. Yeah, I think, I think that's a, a phenomenal example of of that and it takes that it takes that long-term vision you know we've talked a lot about is it are we focusing on what what we can do this quarter or are we focusing on long-term value that we're trying to generate in, in total and you can tell companies that have made that decision to say you know what this may hurt us in the short term but every time this is going to help us in the long term like I, when I always think of that, or whenever I hear that, I think of it's from Tim Ferriss's, uh, the four day work week. And he was talking about like one of the first products he launched, he used a third party customer service company and by default, like, you know, this, this customer service company, like, um, customer service associates had to get approval for anything, like any kind of a customer, like reimbursement or, you know, just situation fix over $25. So he was constantly being emailed, you know, customer cases and, you know, he took a look at it and based on the, the product, it was a consumable product, the cost of it. And he was like, no, no, you know what? Only notify me if it's over $125 or something like that. It was like, and he said like customer service cases dropped, repeat customers went up. Uh, just having like that, that guarantee of having someone be able to solve the problem immediately without saying, let me contact management to see if we can't fix this for you. You know, no, okay. It's, you know, I'll, I'll ship you a replacement for $99 or I'll, I'll do this. You know, repeat customers went, went up immediately because people were able to fix it right away. That's a, that's a great example. And it reminds me, and I, I wish I can remember the name of the book, but there was a similar um, kind of story I read in a management book that I have somewhere on one of my shelves that talked about that. I think a really similar type of approach that they took to business and that they said, look, we, we wanted our employees to feel like they were owners of the company and they had choice to take care of our customers. And one of the questions or some of the pushback they got was, well, how do they know what to do in every occasion? It's like, it's going to take a lot of work for you to design like an employee manual that talks about all the things they can and can't do to take care of your customers. And the owner of the business said, we, I mean, we never even thought about putting something like that together. We just said, look, you know, if it's under $200 um, and it fits within our brand guidelines and our strategy for what we're trying to do, we, we trust you to do it. Right. So we don't have to say like, well, this is how you handle this situation. Or this is what you can do in this situation. Like we can't design every situation. We just have to say, here's kind of the boundaries you have. You're bought into our culture and what we stand for as a company. Don't um, don't go against that. And you're going to make a good decision that's good for our customers and our company. And I'm like, it's such a refreshing, positive way to look at 
how to do that and, and embed that sense of, of ownership because so many companies, especially as they start to get bigger, go the opposite direction and say, by default, we don't trust our employees. By default, our employees are going to do things to screw things up. So we have to put so many checks and balances and things in place to make sure our employees don't do the wrong thing. And there's that stupid meme that gets passed around that says, well, what if our employees do this and it screws up? And then the, you know, the other person says, well, what if they do something good and it's, you know, it makes us a ton, you know, it's basically that like, which, which path are we going to take that we're going to assume they're going to screw up or we're going to assume that they're going to do something good and amazing. I'd rather take that second path all the time. Yeah. And and I mean, they, to that degree, it's, it's, they're kind of taking it back to like where we were starting with this is, is like the, the active versus passive ownership. It's, you know, being involved and seeing the day to day, you know, again, let's go back to where we're talking about like owning, owning a burger shop, you know, being there every day, greeting, you know, greeting customers, seeing customers, seeing how customers are reacting to certain things, seeing how employees are, 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 you know, treating customers, then you're able to make those decisions. Because then what happens is, is when you're not involved or your attention's elsewhere, um, that's when you have to have like those boilerplate, like, this is how you handle this situation. This is how you handle that situation. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. And, and again, like coming full circle, I think business owners that have decided to take that path and be more intimately involved in the business and, and grow and scale at a rate that they don't, um, lose the ability, not only themselves to do that, but to, to foster a team that has a sense of ownership should be commended. And unfortunately, a lot of times they're not, right? A lot of times these business owners get lost in the hype around um, funding and fastest growing and, you know, all of this hype. What do you want? I don't know if the uh, glass doors on the office are... or a help or a hindrance at this point. Cause she's like, I can see you in there and you're not letting me in. Yeah. You're not letting me um, in. I, I, I lost my train of thought. Um, I think I was going somewhere amazing. You know, I've, I've lost it. Um, but you know, I, Oh, you know, so the, these business owners that are building like to your example with your mom talking about these, these places that your, your, you know, your parents would go to being around for decades and generations. Um, these stories get lost because it's, it's, it's not sexy. It's not, Oh, they didn't raise a round of like $500 million. And it's like, so what? Yeah. They they didn't build a franchise that's now nationwide. In in my mind, they're doing something that's even more impressive that they're, they're foregoing this. Maybe easy isn't the right word, but they're foregoing this opportunity to just make gobs and gobs of money on their success. They're 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 deliberately saying, I'm choosing not to go down that path because I know in the long run it's gonna create unhappiness for me, for my customers, for my employees. And I'm willing to forgo being a multi-billionaire and I'm still gonna be incredibly rich. And I'm going to be able to do it by maintaining this way of life and this way of doing things that again, it's like, 
It's it's like the the dying of the main street. You know, these little mom and pops, these businesses that are about, you know, we're losing this appeal, and it's it's unfortunate in my mind. You just made me think of something. Um, there's two places at the shore. You know, we're talking about like the, the main street and, you know, we're talking about like the owner being there to greet them. There are these two places at the shore. Um, one's in Margate, the other's in Ventnor. Um, you know, like there, there's a whole bunch of mom and pop shops down there. And there's this one place that we normally go to once or twice a year for breakfast. And a lot at this point, it, it is packed in the summertime. We actually will try to get down there and do it, you know, in February or March before before it gets crazy mm-hmm. um, we're actually we're actually due to do it we haven't done it yet this you know we haven't done it since like last february it's the place like you know in the summer like you're waiting 40 minutes outside to get in and sit down whereas like right now you can just walk in grab a table but the owner's there every day mm-hmm. you know he's there to greet you he says hi to you and and whatnot and sometimes like he's even the server yeah and, and he's there, but he sees everybody. And this is the time of year where he's going to see his regulars. He's going to see the people that avoid that place in the summer, but will come once a month in, in the off season. So, yeah. And how does it how does it make you feel when you go in there? It, it's, I, you know, just like that they give a shit. Like yeah. that it's not. It makes you feel, just, I think it would probably make you feel special, right? It does. Like, like yeah. I'm a person. I'm not just like some order number. I'm an actual person. Yeah. And, and then at the other end is this place. It's, um, it's a burger joint, a burger and an ice cream place. And the guy, he actually owns, like, he's a financial advisor. He owns his own little firm. He advises like, um, people in, in the area. Um, so he does that for a full-time job. And then this place, it's a seasonal restaurant. It, it opens up mid April, like right around Easter. And then we'll close the second week in October. But he's there day in, day out in the summer. So he, you know, he has his, his his regular job, and then he has this, and this is his hobby. And the place has been around in one form or another since the '60s. And in like the last 15 years, he's really themed it up, and it, it makes you think of like the 1960s soda fountain with the style mm-hmm. and everything, and and everything. And it's expensive; like it's not cheap for like even just the three of us to go. It could be a fifty dollar meal, because I mean it's 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 a tourist destination i'll admit that it's it's on the island it's it's a bit pricey but i'll but i say this every time i leave the guys are in my business yeah. like he's there like i see him wiping down tables he's sweeping he's saying hi to people he comes over and he says how's this how's that there was one time he came over and my 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 in-laws were with us and my mother-in-law was just like ah man, i'm not so sure about this one it feels a little undercooked it's this it's that he's like Say nothing more. Five minutes later, he comes walking out with a fresh thing, takes that and says, here, you know, and, and, you know, took it upon himself to like right then and there fix it. And you see him coaching the employees also while he he's walking around. But it's after after I promote proposed to my now wife, this is like six years ago. We went there afterward to, to get like, you know, some some milkshakes and whatnot, get some burgers and. You know, we, we say something to the guy, he's there. And next thing you know, he comes out with his homemade wine, mm. you know, as, as a little toast. So I'm like, yeah, I will go back there every time because the dude works his ass off. Yeah. He doesn't take that business for granted. And yeah. sometimes I will say, like, in towns like that, you could set a business like that on autopilot. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I mean, you could set it on autopilot and you could also kind of go down the path of, well, I'm going to cash in on my appeal and celebrity and maybe scale to 10 locations and get a shit ton of money and ruin the experience, but I'm going to get mine, you know? So again, I, I think these, these people really deserve to be celebrated and, and highlighted because it's, it's, it, it takes a lot to, to commit to doing something different and on a scale that, um, is more than just revenue. And, and again, I think there's an important point to making sure that every business is financially stable. Without that, it, there is no business. But making it your purpose just destroys everything. And it's, you know, other restaurants, as you share that experience, take a much different approach and you can see the difference, right? Like think about, well, you know, I can't take this back because this ruins my margins or I can only give you... Um, 0.202 ounces of sauce because that's what we've calculated that we can give out in order to make you know be profitable on this or you know they're weighing everything to like well this is like five peas that you like i can tell that you've made revenue your purpose rather than making a meaningful experience for your customers and again so i'm going to share two examples and I've, I've probably talked about them before but two local utah establishments that have my highest praise uh so one is a sandwich shop which unfortunately or fortunately is closed down now uh, the owner operated it for 35 plus years and has retired and he was there every day he knew your name he was making the sandwiches he was busting the tables he was making sure that the bread when it came in from the bakery was up to stand like he was invested you know and not only was the food incredible and probably the best sandwich that you could buy in utah the experience was unmatched um, and then I've also talked about the, the sushi restaurant, um, Takashi in Salt Lake that I enjoy similar experience. It's a single location. Takashi, the owner is there. He's behind the counter he's in the sushi at the sushi bar, slicing fish and rolling sushi rolls. Um, he's at the, at the fish market in the morning, picking out the fish and Ben Gaines and I once had the opportunity to have lunch with them. And we asked them the question. It's like, if you show up at 5.30 on a Wednesday afternoon, you aren't getting a table here. <laughs> it's like, it's so busy. Like you could open up a second or third location and, and crush it. And he's like, I can't. And I said, why? And he's like, because I pick out the fish, I design the menu, and I don't have the time or the energy to do that for more than one location. And if I can't do that, it's not going to be the same experience. I'm like, damn, dude, respect. Yeah, it, it just made me think of something. It's almost like, people you know crave for like the mom and pop experience but like but part of that as being a customer of that is that chances are there's only one location chances are there's limited availability um like people want the availability that you get with a global chain but they want the mom and pop experience and in many ways they, they are mutually exclusive yeah. You're right. Like there, there's only the mom and pop experience starts to go away as, as you expand, because like I mentioned earlier, you know, crafting a culture that recruits people that care that in, it continues to coach them on caring and making sure that they do follow through on caring is incredibly hard to do. It mm -hmm. is probably one of the hardest things in, in business. I yeah. Think. And, so, and, so yeah, like people want, like people want that kind of experience that you were describing. They want 
the little breakfast shop where the owner's there and greets you and may even be the one to take your order, but they get ticked off when there's a 45 minute wait on a Sunday in June. It, it absolutely. And then and we see that in everything. And we see that in our own backyard and services, right? We yeah. see companies that say, we want this mom and pop experience. We want to go with an agency where the owner is involved in actually doing the analysis and the work and the cares. And we have this really human experience. And we want the ultra cheap pricing that comes with a massive brand that has 8,000 consultants and has like a bench a mile wide. And that if we say jump, they're going to jump because they have 5,000 people on our account. Like, these things are mutually exclusive. They don't happen together. You either yeah. can have the big box experience and that's completely fine if that's what you want, or you can have the owner operator mom and pop business, which is a completely different experience when they have different experiences, different availabilities, different pricing. You get what you pay for. Mm-hmm. Which one do you want? They're mutually exclusive. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I want to wrap it up there because I do want to dig into this a little bit more. I, I want to continue this conversation because I think we, we looked at it from a very, very broad level today. We did touch on certain aspects of, of things like, I want to talk about why, why businesses don't trust their employees. If you're going to hire someone, why don't you trust them? Mm-hmm. Like, I want to talk about that a bit more. Um, and what are ways that you can, again, like get away from the buzzword of empowering your employees to do something. It's very easy to say you empower employees to do something, yeah. but following through is, is the hard part. And I'll be honest with you. Like there, there are times where you and I've talked about something and three months later, you know, it's like, shit, we didn't follow up on a couple of those things. It, you know, it, it's hard. It's difficult. Those are the hard things. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk about a couple of those things. Like, yeah, the experience in trying to, to build those kind of things. So let's go ahead and wrap up for now. This has been been a lot of fun, um, yeah. and let, let, let's let's keep this going next week. Sounds good. Awesome. Right. Well, thanks a lot, man. This has been yep. a lot of fun. Agreed. See you next cool. time. Yep. Talk to everybody later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of 33 Tangents. If you enjoyed what you heard, please rate and review the show on your favorite podcast aggregator so others can find us. If you would like to reach us, you can do so by emailing podcast at 33sticks.com or on the web at 33tangents.33sticks.com. 33 Tangents is a production of 33 Sticks, an analytics boutique.